Welcome to Sermons of Grace with Pastor David Murphy of the Grace Baptist Church in Gambles Terrace, Antigua. Last week in our study of the book of Romans, Pastor Murphy showed us the benefit of being a justified believer, having peace with God. Today we'll study the second benefit, having access to grace. I want you to turn your Bibles with me, please, to the book of Romans, chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, and I want to commence my reading from verse number 1 of Romans chapter 5, and then we'll come to our text in verse 2. But let's read um, Romans chapter 5, and uh, we'll probably read more than verse 2, but uh, we'll come back to our text in verse number 2. Romans 5, Paul writes, and he says to the Roman believers, he says, therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace where we may stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only so, but we glory in tribulation also, knowing that tribulation work of patience and patience experience and experience hope and hope maketh not ashamed because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us. For when we were without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love towards us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Our attention this evening is going back to verse number two, uh, where Paul says, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand. Let's ask the Lord to help us now as we go into the word. Father, we thank thee for the spirit that rules in this assembly. We thank thee for the attitude of confidence and praise that is displayed. We thank thee for those who have selected different songs and indicated how those songs in some special way uh, relate to them. We thank you, Lord, for the grace of God that brought salvation to us. We thank thee for bringing us out of darkness into the light of your Son. We thank thee for showing us our need of Christ and bringing us to that point where we were willing to surrender to him and to put our sins upon him and have his righteousness imputed to us. So we thank you that we are now in a justified state where before you as judge of the universe, we have been declared righteous and not guilty, that all the offenses that we've ever committed or will ever commit, our Lord has taken upon himself and therefore we stand before God as righteous as his son is. 
this is a great mystery and we can never fully comprehend the method by which this has been done the mystery by which it's been done but yet we rejoice not in understanding the truth but in believing the truth that's been given to us so that we can have confidence in our own lives as believers now Lord will you help me tonight as we go through this verse and try to help our people to understand what the Apostle Paul is teaching in this verse it is for us to understand your word to understand your truth because we will need this truth as we go through this life that is checkered by deception and doubt that will assail us we need to have an understanding and a grip upon the truth of your word sometimes Lord that truth is not what we need immediately but you prepare in our heart for what is going to come in the future and therefore it behooves us as your children to try to grasp and to comprehend and to retain what your word teaches because it is designed for a specific purpose give me the wisdom tonight give me the capacity to speak forth your word with clarity and would you anoint the words that go forth so that they would have impact upon those that listen allow that no this thing no distraction would cause us to uh, not to pay attention to your word but that we would gird up the loins of our minds and we would give greater concentration to your truth so that we might grasp what you see that we need at this stage thank you for this great book of Romans thank you for the Apostle Paul taking his time uh, to write to a church and uh, we by extension are benefiting from that uh, letter that he was sent to that church because in your great wisdom you saw that throughout the ages this would become one of the great classic books of the Bible and especially in its exposition of the uh, salvation by faith and justification by faith and all the benefits that accrue to us as believers thank you for this masterful presentation of the Apostle Paul and I pray Lord now that we may learn from it and we may grasp it we may understand it and then we might appropriate it and make it ours because the word is not just given for us to hear it the word is given for us to put it in practice which means that we have to appropriate it by faith uh, we're told in the Old Testament that the word that was sent forth to Israel did not profit them because it was not mixed with faith I pray Lord that we may take your word and uh, may the faith that you engender in us through your spirit be able to grasp your word so that we can appropriate it properly in our own personal lives guide us now we pray as we go into this chapter we ask for your leading and your guidance in Christ's name we pray Amen Last Sunday night, I began to explore this chapter number five, and we began to look at the whole question of the benefits of justification. The Apostle Paul, in the previous chapter, has spent extensive amount of time explaining to the believer that he is justified before God. We know that that's a forensic term, it's a legal term, and it doesn't mean that we are righteous in ourselves, it means that God has place the righteousness of Christ on us and when God sees us he sees us in Christ and we have been declared righteous and that's the only way that God can treat us as sons you and I can never come into God's presence in prayer unless we were justified we cannot come into God's presence unless we have righteousness and we need righteousness that we don't have and God has provided that righteousness in his son so that when we put our faith and trust in his son, he takes our sin and he imputes Christ's righteousness to us. That is called justification. 
But what are the benefits of a person being justified? Does it make any difference when I was in my old state, in my sin? Has something happened that now that I is transformed my relationship with God? And the Apostle Paul, in verses 1 and 2, is going to talk about the three, three benefits, the three main, primary, fundamental, core benefits of justification. The first one he tells us in verse number 1 is that we have peace with God. In other words, the war between us and God is over. An amnesty had been signed in the blood of Jesus Christ. A new covenant had been put in place. And so God no longer sees us as enemies. God sees us as friends. When we put our faith and trust in Christ, that distance that was between us and God where we were far off is now bridge. So that we now have peace with God. But we dealt with that last Sunday night, and I don't want to um, go, uh, go on with that again. I want to move on to the next benefit where Paul talks about here in this chapter. Where Paul talks about the whole matter now in verse number 2. By whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand. What does this text mean? What does it mean that we have access into this grace? But not only that, that we stand in this grace whereby we have access. What does the Apostle Paul mean by that text? And how does that relate to us as the believers? Now one of the things that I think that we need to understand that sometimes in order to understand a passage of scripture, it requires that we at least begin to examine it in the Greek language. Now I'm assuming that everybody here understands that there's no perfect translation. I repeat, there's no perfect, even the King James Version is not a perfect translation. There's no perfect translation. So it's, it's mandatory, therefore, that when you come to a passage, that sometimes you need to go into the Greek in order to understand what the passage teaches. This is one of those texts where I think if we're going to understand and interpret this passage correctly, we have to go behind the King James language, get into the Greek language so we can understand what the Apostle Paul is saying. Let me put it this way. The Greek language is different than what we have here in this text. And let me explain what I mean by that. Take the word there, by whom we also have access. That's not in the Greek language. What the Greek language says is this. By whom also we have had our access. This is what the Apostle Paul is saying here. We, it's something that we have had access to. Not that we're having access to, but we've had access to. And we stand in this grace because we've had access uh, to this grace. Now the significance of that is that in the Greek tense, it's in what you call the perfect tense. And in the Greek tense, this is what the perfect tense means. Something happened to me here in the past. An event occurred in the past. But that event that occurred in the past has present ramifications. It affects everything in the present because this event took place in the past. What the Apostle Paul is, is reminding us here as believers that something happened in our lives. An event happened in, the, in our lives where because of that event, we now have present access to God. See? This is the emphasis that the Apostle Paul is emphasizing. And what Paul is reminding the believer that there was a time in your life when you did not have access. There was a time in your life when you were an enemy of God. There's a time in your life when you were not a friend of God. There's a time when God saw you uh, as a combatant. 
Where God drew his sword from his scabbard and came down to deal with you because he saw you as a rebel. But something happened in your life. An event in the past in your life happened. And as a result of that event, you're now having present access to God. My question to you tonight is, has such an event ever happened in your life? There are a lot of people who never really understand this. They pray to God, but they never have access. It's like they're praying, but in other words, look, do you know that Muslims pray? More than us? Do you know that Hindus pray? Do you know that Jehovah's Witness pray? Do you know that all types of people are praying? But I'll tell you this, it's not the matter of praying, the question is, do you have access? But the only way you will ever have access is because something happened in your past. You've had access. See, Because this has happened, now you have current access to him. A past event that has present application in your whole life. Now we must not ignore the passage of scripture and do it in a very blithesome way. We must understand that the Apostle Paul is teaching something that is so important for us to remember. And what Paul is reminding us again is exactly what he's been teaching us. Is that the event that happened in the past is that we became justified before God. Sometime in your life, you came to a critical point in your life where you became convicted by the Holy Spirit and you were shown your need of Christ and you turned away from your sin and you put your faith and trust in Christ. That moment, that moment is the moment that gave you access into this grace. This is what Paul is emphasizing here in this passage. That the believing sinner who's put his faith and trust in Christ at a historical event in the past, that believer has now given present access to God and he stands in that grace. But he's reminding us that there must be a historical event in your past that gives you access to God in the present. And if you cannot say this evening that there was a time in your life when God convicted you of your sin, you brought to the point where you saw your need of God, you turn away from your sin, you put your faith and trust in Christ, and you accepted Him as your Savior. If you cannot say that tonight, I want to say that event has not occurred to you as yet, and you don't have access. In other words, justification is a specific historical event that happens in our life. It is not a process. Now, sanctification is a process. You are sanctified, you are being sanctified, and you will be sanctified. But you are not justified, and you're not being justified, and you will be justified. You're already justified. It's an event, it's not a process. Now that is where, by the way, all of the cults that don't believe in assurance of salvation, for example, the Jehovah's Witness, there's not a Jehovah's Witness that knows you're going to heaven. He can't tell you he's going to heaven. He's not sure. There's not a seven-day Adventist that knows he's going to heaven. He can't know. Because why? Because right now what Jesus is doing from 19, 1844 until now, he's been investigating the books to discover who will be resurrected and who will be given life. From 1844 until now, that's what he's doing in his ministering today. So he doesn't know if he's saved because he doesn't know after investigated judgment... Would God decide that he's worthy to be resurrected or not? 
But for the believer who understands this teaching of justification, that you are once and for all time justified at a point in your life, a specific historical point, when you put your faith and trust in Christ, it was settled once and forever. If you don't understand that, you can never have the assurance of salvation. That's why it's important for us to understand the biblical doctrine of justification. And the Apostle Paul says, something happened to you there that now gives you access. And that event that happened there, something in the past, is not to be repeated again. In other words, if you're here tonight, that is called eternal security. That the believer once saved is always safe. And the believer once justified is always justified. See? If you never comprehend that, you'll never be able to have assurance. You'll never know that you're saved. You'll go through life wondering, well, did I do enough? How much is enough? You either depend on Christ's sacrificial death and his righteousness to get your good standing before God, or you begin to, begin to wonder how much you can do to justify yourself before God. So the Apostle Paul, in this particular passage, is drawing to our attention that this access we're talking about is a historical event that occurred in the past, but because it occurred in the past, in the present, now you have access. What he's saying here in this passage, you have had access to God. See? The other word I think is significant in this particular passage to really appreciate what Paul is saying is that word itself, access. I mean, I say to you again that that is not the full meaning of the word in the Greek language. I don't want to uh, undermine your faith in the Bible by suggesting to you that words need to be clarified and words need to be explained. But I think you know that that's a pastor's job. A pastor should know more than you. And if he doesn't know more than you, he should not be a pastor. See? He should study more than you. And if he doesn't study more than you, he should not be a pastor. And that's why God calls pastors to explain Scripture. I am convinced, you know, on the radio now we're doing the thing with the cults. And uh, I, as I begin to study these cults, I realized that most of them went wrong because they read the King James Version and just took with the words that were there and went with it. And they created doctrines because there was a word there, but they didn't understand what was the meaning behind the word. And that's one of the great tragedies. For example, the Seventh-day Adventists believe in soul sleep. That when you die, your soul sleeps and it will one day be resurrected. Again, the, the problem with that is that they've taken past the scripture. That, that, listen, I'm so confused as how they can embrace that. Every time the Bible talks about death as a sleep, it's the body that sleeps, not the soul. And if you don't understand that, you will always come up to a wrong interpretation. The body sleeps. But absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. The spirit goes to be with the Lord. The soul goes to be with the Lord. See? But how did they come to that position? Simply because they took the word sleep and thought it referred to the entire person. And by the way, death in the Bible is never, never unconsciousness. It always is separation. Physical death is the separation of the body from the soul. Spiritual death is the separation of man from God. Eternal death is separation of God in eternity. It always has to do with self. But if you don't understand the language, and you just come and read the Bible. By the way, I know so these people that started these religions, these cults were people that had seventh grade education, never even went to, to, uh, to secondary school. 
Russell was like that, the star, the seventh day, uh, the, 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 um, the Jehovah's Witness. And Ellen G. White was like that, seventh day grade education. So she built this whole thing out of the fact that she read the, the King James Version, never got behind the words that mean the grammar, the syntax, and came up with this new teaching. And now we've got two major cults. Joseph Smith was another ignoramus that started the Mormon movement. But all of them started because they came to the King James, they read the Bible, and they never got behind the meaning of the word. No man should ever introduce a new doctrine until he understands Greek or Hebrew and the grammar of the Bible. See? Now this word access is only used three times in the New Testament. You find it here in Romans chapter 5 and verse number 2. But you also find it in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 18 and Ephesians chapter 3 verse 12. In Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 18, he says, Through him, we both have access by one spirit to the Father. In Ephesians chapter 3 verse 12, it says, In whom we have boldness and access by confidence, by faith. Those are the only three times we find this word access used in the Bible. Now, if you were to take the lexicon, uh, and you begin to check this word to find out what this word means, the best definition of this word is this, that we have been, we have had our introduction. That's what the word really means. It's a word that uh, has to do with an ancient practice that when you have a king or queen and you want to see the king and the queen, you just don't go and see the king and the queen. You have to be introduced to the king and the queen. And that's the word that is used here. And what Paul is trying to draw an analogy, he's saying, listen, in our sins, in our unrighteousness, when we were not saved, we didn't have access to the king. We wanted access to the king. But we didn't have any access to the king. We needed to be introduced to the king. Now, the one that would introduce the king is one of his courtiers that will take you. You want to see the king? You, you not, I want to see the king. Then the courtier would take you into the presence of the king and introduce you to the king or the queen. This is what Paul is saying here. You have had in the past your introduction. When you came to faith and trust in Christ, it is then that Jesus Christ introduced you to the king, to the father. He now gave you access to the, you had no access, but he introduced you to the father so that you now have access. This is what Paul is here emphasizing in the text. He's saying to you that you didn't have an entry, you didn't have an access, you didn't have an introduction. You were outside, you were alienated, you were far off, you were an enemy. But then someone called Jesus came and you came to him and he introduced you into this state of grace. Because he introduced you to the Father. So what Paul is reminding us, that we had no righteousness of our own, we had no entry of our own. But by coming to Jesus, he becomes now the great high priest who sits at the right hand of God the Father. And he, not Mary, he, see, he introduces you to the king. What a great travesty it is to tell a person that if you want God to do anything for you, what you've got to do, you don't go to the son, you go to the mother. And the mother persuades the son. And having persuaded the son, the son now goes to the father. That 
is a travesty of the Bible. And anyone, anyone that is going to marry will never get to God. Because you never come to God through Mary. You come through the Son. And that's why the Catholic Church is in such a state of darkness. And by the way, this Bible is so open to the whole world. I am amazed that people still believe they must go through Mary to get to Jesus, to get to God. But Paul says, no, you've had your introduction. You had your When you were converted by faith and trust in Christ, He, Jesus, the great high priest, He introduced you to the Father. And isn't it wonderful that the Bible has in every time, seven times in the book of Hebrews, seated where? At the right hand of God the Father. Isn't it good to have somebody on the inside? Well, the Apostle Paul is reminded this is a great privilege you never had before. And this justification has put us in this place where we now have access. We never had it. And no one ever gets it except they be justified. This is one of the great benefits. That the believer has. You notice the third word I think is important in trying to deal with this text. Is that word grace. Notice what he says. By whom also you have or you have had access by faith into what? This grace wherein you stand. Now this is one of the great marvels. Of the doctrine of justification by faith. That when we've come to trust the Lord Jesus Christ. That he has introduced us into this state of grace. Where we stand. This is the condition in which we stand. You now we sing a song that the, 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 uh, the banner of the Lord is over us. I forgot how it goes. That his, his banner of love is over us. But you know what is over us more than even the banner. It's the, the grace of God. We are under grace. Under grace. So what Paul is here saying to you that when you were introduced to the Father, he put you in a position where now he deals with you solely on the basis of grace. Your, your condition, your state is that you are in grace. There was a time when you were under law. What does that mean? It means that God as judge judicially saw you as a violator and a felon and God's anger was against you. You were under law. The law was over you. But now in grace... Grace is over you. You're no longer under law. You're under grace. God deals with you on the basis solely, not on your merits, but on his grace. His favor, his love towards you as a believer. Paul wants you to know that God looks upon you with favor and God is going to deal with you in a gracious manner. And he now accepts you and he delights to bless you as his child. Delight. Anybody here got a child? Do you not really uh, get excited when you're able to do something for your child? Do you want to curse your child or bless your child? You always want to bless your child. And that's where Christ has put us. So that when God, God's disposition towards us is no longer anger. No longer stinginess. No longer holding back. His position to us is now that we under grace. We stand in grace. And therefore his disposition towards us is to bless us, bless us and to show us favor. I like the way that Dr. Jones explains this. And he uses an analogy which I think is a fitting analogy. 
He said, uh, it's like a man who spent the whole life out on the streets, on the outside, by a great palace. But as he is on the outside of the palace, he looks in and he sees endless riches and he sees people feasting and enjoying the banquet. But all he can see, he can look in, but he can't enjoy. He can wish he had it, but all he can see is this riches and this feasting going on in the great banquet. He has no entry, he has no access, he has no introduction. However, suddenly one day, the courier of the host uh, comes to the man who was outside all these years and invites him in. He puts on a garment and he puts him to sit down at the, at the table with the, with the king and he feasts. That's the image that Paul is saying here to us. You remember in the life of David, King Saul had a son. And you remember when David was... Um, Deciding what he would do after he came to the throne. He said, does Saul have any sons that I can show honor to? You remember that Saul had a son who was lame at his feet. A guy called Mephibosheth. And you remember what David did? David took Saul's son. Saul was the enemy of David. Saul was hunting David out of his life. But then David, in an act of supreme grace, he took Mephibosheth, the son of his enemy, and he put Mephibosheth to sit at his table, and he said, give to him the portion of the king. Let him eat like the king's sons. That is grace. That is grace. The apostle Paul wants us to understand that God now deals with the believer in a gracious way because we are now in a settled position of grace. It's like, imagine that we were under law and God dealt with us under law. But God transferred us now and God put us under grace. So we are under, so all we can deal with is under grace. And Paul said that we have access into this grace. Now what are the concrete practical terms? What in concrete practical terms does this mean that we stand in grace and we have had this introduction into grace. The New Testament, I think, is full of answers because it begins to explain to us what that means in practical terms. And let me just point out to you uh, what that means in practical terms. Number one, because we are now in a position of grace and God is disposed to show his favor and to bless us, we have been given some of the greatest treasures because the king has brought out his bunk and said to us, this is all yours. What is mine is yours. And I offer it to you. And so these are some of the things that now we have. As justified believers who have been given an introduction into this grace. Let me say to you what you have as a believer. Let me mention at least three things. Number one. Because you are now in grace and God's favor is towards you. You as a believer can be absolutely sure that God has provisions for you. Both spiritual and temporal provisions. Uh, there the are two verses of scripture that really speaks about this. In, in, in 2 Peter chapter 1, he says that through his power, he has given to us all things that do what? Pertain unto life and to godness. How? By the knowledge of him and by the knowledge of Jesus Christ. In other words, what God gives to you in grace is that he makes available to you every spiritual and every 
uh, thing that you need to know about godliness. So if you're troubled about your own spiritual life, and you're not too sure about what godliness is and how to get God, the Bible says that He's given to you all of these things in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. So these things that are given to you, these provisions, these spiritual provisions, He's made everything available to you in regard to the spiritual life and in regard to the whole matter of godliness. So if I am not unsure about my state, if I'm not sure about my godliness, what I'm concerned about, the way I get that is through the knowledge that he's imparted to me. And that knowledge is in his word. Get into the word. See what Jesus says. See what the Bible says. But that's one provision that we have. Spiritual provision. In verse number two, he says these words, that we also have precious promises. We have a book called the Bible that is laden with promises. Waiting for the believer to claim those promises. He says, great and precious promises. Because of grace, those things are available to us. And if we're struggling in our Christian life, and we're finding it hard and difficult, we need to understand that provision has been made for our spiritual life. Life and godliness provision has been made. And that provision comes through the knowledge of Christ. And that knowledge of Christ is found in Scripture. So the answer to your spiritual needs is not in the psychology book. It's in the word of God. And it's provided for you. All things are provided for you. So when you're faced with doubt in your life, when you're saved with skepticism, if you're uncertain, whatever, is, whatever your concern is about your spiritual life and about godliness, and you, you're confused, go into the book. It is there. He's given you all things pertaining to spiritual life and to godliness. That's one of the great blessings of being in grace and standing in grace. He's given you that provision. But not only that, He's also given us a provision in terms of our material needs. Grace enables God to meet our material needs. You remember in Matthew chapter 6, he says, listen, you're in a father-son relationship, you're in a daughter-son relationship, and your father is God is going to provide for your needs. And he said, in case you doubt that your father can meet your needs, I want you to look at the birds and look at the lilies. Your father provides for the birds. Your father provides for the lilies. Can he dare not provide for you? And then he tells them something else that you don't understand. He said, your father provides for the, for the lilies extravagantly. He says, not even Solomon in all his glory was arrayed like these. He never had a garment like the lily. So if your God is extravagant and expending his, his favor toward the lily, can you imagine now, that he's so stingy with you. And that's why he said to you, don't worry about these things. Your father knows that you have need of these things. What you need to concentrate on is seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And he said, I will add all of these things to you. The reason why you don't have those things is because you're seeking the wrong thing. But he's promised to meet your needs. And that is all to the abundance of grace because you stand in grace. Therefore, he can show you favor in that respect. Look, God cares for you so much. And this is, this is a astounding thing, you know. He told them, look, there's not a sparrow that falls to the ground that God doesn't know the sparrow for. But then he says something even more amazing. He said, my care of you is so much that not one grain of your hair ever falls from your head. And I don't know it falls. That's the meticulous care that God takes upon his people. Amen. Now think about that for just a moment. Think about that for just a moment. That he knows every time. And by the way, this is either the language of hyperbole 
or this is the language of divinity. And we must accept that when he says the very, here's your head are numbered, he knows everyone. Now, if he knows that a very insignificant matter, how then he doesn't care about your other needs, your real needs? It's because we're in grace and we stand in the place of grace that God shows his favor to us. And we have our spiritual needs met, all that pertains to life and godliness, but we also have our material needs met. He said, I will provide for you. I will take you. I know what your needs are. Your father knows your needs. See? So don't bite your nails and uh, get yourself all flustered because uh, things are not coming to the way you want and you're not getting all. It may not be what you want. I, I remember he provides what you, you want, your needs. But he's also extravagant as well. And he also, most of us know he gives us more than our needs. But one thing I'm sure is, you will meet your needs. So we have confidence. We have confidence that in this grace, we have God's provision. It's one of the blessings of standing in grace. You know, I sat here the other night, and my heart was so uplifted. I wish you would know, I, I didn't shout out and jump and run around the building. But honestly, I said to myself, what a God. What a God. Do you know of a doctor... Do you know of any doctor that will say to a woman who owes a six-figure number? Okay, now that means at least over $100,000. A six-figure number that will say to that person, listen, if the insurance don't pay you, don't, you don't have to pay me. What doctor ever says that? You ever know a doctor who says that yet? You ever know a doctor who's willing to surrender $250,000? Where does he exist? What planet? Well, he exists in Trinidad because she came into contact with a doctor who took care of her. They're not even sure the insurance was not able to meet it. But he said to her, listen, if the insurance don't pay me, your bill is canceled. What a God. What a God. I mean, things are happening in our church and we don't get excited. What a God. How many of us would ever think that an unsaved doctor, having spoken to a Christian, and she ministered to him, would say to her, look, you owe me $250,000, but if they don't pay me, cancel it. This God is still alive. And he's still taking care of his people because he deals with us in grace. In grace. Look, I remember when the thing happened to my wife. With the, uh, her Achilles tendon broke in two. I remember when she went to the hospital and then they gave us the bill. Honest to God, I didn't know where you got that money from. I was going to rob a bank. $20,000 was her just to fix her foot. $20,000. And I, I didn't have an answer for that. Honest to God, I did not have an answer for that. Didn't know what would happen. But then it is marvelous how God works that she's in contact with a doctor who, when we were in St. Lucia, who built the church. A medical doctor came down to St. Lucia and helped build the church in St. Lucia. But she's always remained in contact with him. I'm a bad correspondent, by the way. <laughs> Honestly, I, I don't write letters. I, I, I'm constantly writing, I must tell you, about sermons and stuff like that. So I, I'm weary and tired uh, when it comes to doing other things like that. So if you ever want to get a letter from me, you probably would live and die and never see it. 
Right? You, had to, you had to really, really get behind me to get it. But anyhow, she keeps in contact with the doctor, tells the doctor what has happened. He said, listen, get up to, get up to Barbados. Get up to Barbados. The thing about it is she had an x-ray before she left. And the x-ray said, you don't have any blood clots. None. CT scan, no blood clots whatsoever. So she took the plane and went up there. And then she went in to see the doctor. And the doctor sent her to another CAT scan. And then asked her this question, how did you get up here? She said she came by the plane. He said, now you can come by the plane. Because my wife had blood clots from her foot right before, below her heart. Right below her heart. And they thought that by traveling by plane, it would have loosened because of the altitude. Would allow the blood clot, so she really should be not be alive. And then they put on the death ward. My wife told me that every night, Dave, one or two people going out and dying. And then after she was there for a while, people stopped dying. Seriously, stopped dying. And they came to her and asked her, you know, um, you know, we've noticed that since you've been here that people stopped dying. And uh, what's the secret? And she just said, well, I'm a believer and I pray a lot. I'm a Christian, etc. And they really appreciate that she came up. But that's not what I want to say to you. We still got $20,000, you know. So now they write a report. The doctors write a report and send it back to the doctors down here. And when they saw the report, they call her in. Never saw another bill yet. They really thought, I think we would have sued them. Because they realized that they jeopardized her life. When she left here, they left her with blood clots from her foot right up to her heart. She should have died on the plane. And all the pain she went through, they realized that they were at fault. But thank God, we never saw a bill. Never paid one penny. See, You talk about a God. He may not work the same, but he has other ways of working because that's the miracle of grace. He doesn't operate the same way, but what happens? He cares for his people. He takes care of He keeps our needs. And that's what Paul is saying. That we stand in grace and God's favors. He wants to bless us. Why? Because we are no longer under law where he as a judge has, as, as you know, he's, 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 he's ready to bring down the hammer upon us. No, we have moved from law. We've come under grace. We stand in grace. So therefore he's disposed to want to bless his people with favor. So we have provision because we stand in this matter of grace. Be sure you join us again next time here on Sermons of Grace as Pastor Murphy shows us two more treasures of grace given to us by the King. If you'd like to contact Pastor David Murphy or Grace Baptist Church, please call 268-462-4230 or visit during one of their service times. Sunday school is at 9 a.m., Sunday morning at 10 a.m., Sunday evening at 7 p.m., or Thursday evenings at 7 p.m. Grace Baptist Church is located on Rowan Henry Street, in Gambles Terrace, Antigua.